So let's open our Bibles to chapter 28, if you have one. We're going to read two verses. So as we come upon chapter 28, David has already once in fleeing from his original boss, his father-in-law Saul, who throws spears at him. David has had to flee to the land of the Philistines in the coastal region of Israel. About 1000 BC, there's the very first king of Israel now exists, Saul, and he's trying to kill David, whom has already been anointed by Samuel, the greatest prophet in hundreds of years, to be the next king. So we have these two kings in conflict, the king who's going crazy, Saul, and the king who's filled with the spirit, David. The crazy king being refined, being used by God to refine David to become a great king and not be another Saul. So when David grabs Saul's spear, he doesn't use Saul's spear to kill Saul, but he gives it back to him. Because God's not trying to replicate more Saul's and Philistine warlords. He's trying to make very special women and men of God to change the world in his, for his glory in Jesus' name. So you just can never take the Saul's spear and put him down with it. You just got to give it back to him and say, just please stop throwing your spear at me. So David's been fleeing from Saul. And in fleeing, we've been following the storyline, but ends up in the Philistines. And earlier on, there at Ach- with Achish in Gath, he acts like a crazy man. We, we know that David had uh, skills. He's a great dancer, and he's obviously a very good actor. Because when he acted crazy, he convinced Achish that he was crazy. David was very comfortable in his own skin. I'm sure you're realizing that as we go through this book, looking at his life. He was, he was comfortable being David. When you slay the bear and the lion in Jesus' name, and you strike down Goliath, and you got Goliath's sword, you're pretty secure in who you are. And that's important tonight when we look at this text. But already David's showed up in Gath, and he acts like a madman, out of his mind, like, you know, and Gath's like, this, is this the guy? Like, yeah, this is the guy. You know, they're saying Saul killed his thousands, David killed his ten thousands, I can pull it up on YouTube, I'll show you the clip, you know, like, whatever, like, this is that guy. There's no way this is that guy. This guy is crazy. And, and so David was just, he was in character. He, he got the job, the audition worked. He got it. He fooled the king, uh, the warlord, Achish. So David doesn't stay there. He ends up leaving. We've been reading about Saul chasing him all over the Judean wilderness. David goes to Moab with his family, all these things. And now wouldn't you know, he ends up back in the land of the Philistines. He ends up back allied with Achish. So the last time we saw where he cut Saul's robe when Saul was going to the bathroom in the cave and that all played out. Well, what we didn't read but we did read Tuesday night as Saul comes after him again in the wilderness. This time he catches Saul's, he takes the initiative to Saul in the middle of the night. He grabs his spear and his jug of water. And Saul's like embarrassed again and says, okay, no hard feelings. And you go your way. But he knows he can't stay in the promised land. So David goes back to the Philistines. And once you know, he shows up at Gath again. He shows up with Achish. Achish is like, hey, look at his back. Those Israelites just never know. Like, look at his back. It's, it's, it's against the dude. He's not, he's not drooling on his beard anymore. And David's like, yeah, I'm not. I'm here for a job. Okay, what kind of job do you want? Well, give me a city, and I'll, I'll get you plunder. And that's what the previous chapter was. He, Achish gave him the city of Ziglag, and from there David led raids, where he was raiding against the Amalekites and other perpetual enemies of Israel. He's bringing about the goods, the booty, if you will. And, and Achish's like, oh, where'd you come from? And David goes, oh, from raiding the Judah in Judah, the Israelites. So he's deceiving his boss. He's fearful of his life, but he's not going to attack Israel. The guy, the guy who doesn't, the guy who's anointed king of Israel is not going to attack Israelites. The guy who gives Saul his spear back is not the guy that's going to go attack his own people. 
But he's doing the best he can in a crazy world, like all of us did the last two years being employed on planet Earth in America and any other part of the world. And he's just trying to keep his job. He just needs food. He needs, he, he's got 600 employees that work for him and their families. And he's got two wives. We know one's at least very smart and wise, Abigail. And he's like, dude, I just, I'll work for you. Okay, I'll give you this village, you do that. So that's, this is the background of the story. So now as we come to, uh, well, also one more background. It's all building where the Philistines are going to attack Saul, Israel, an all-out, not a tit-for-tat military campaign, but all-out war. They're going for, they're going for the jugular. All-out war is coming. And in the next chapter, which we read on Tuesday night as well, Saul went to the witch at Endor and heard, you know, Samuel came back from the grave whatever that was, and tells him, you're going to die tomorrow. And that's, that's that. So at the hand of the Philistines. So in this background, we have these couple of verses with David and, and uh, Achish. So we read this, chapter 28, verse 1. So he's now working for Achish. He's in Ziglag. He's leading raids, but he's not being up front with Achish where he's getting the plunder from. Now, it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you surely know that you will go out with me in battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. And this text makes me mad. Because I've lived long enough to see how the Philistine warlords beat down and talk down to God's people and try and strip them of their divine calling, their divine purpose, and their divine destinies, and talk them down. It's the way of the world to devalue you so they can lower your pay, what they give you, contract negotiations, talk it down. And this happens in the world. The devil does it to all of us. He wants to discourage any believer in Jesus Christ to not really understand who they're called to be in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. Their royalty in Christ, 1 Peter chapter 2. And the upper call of God in Christ Jesus that we're called to individually in each of our lives. Or really, their total destiny, as in Jeremiah chapter 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and have a plan for you and ordained you a prophet. The devil wants to do everything he can by his minions and by humanity and the Philistine lords to keep anyone from Christ really understanding who their identity is in Christ and their destiny to go forward with Christ and to keep them from being fruitful for Christ. So it really is an act of faith. Are we going to let Philistine warlords define who we are in the human experience? Or are we going to let Christ, the King on the right hand of the Father, come in glory to find who we are by the confirmation of His Spirit in our life? That's really what's at stake here in this text. Now, contextually, David is really an employee of Achish. Now, he's already been anointed by the prophet to be the King of Israel. But he's an employee of Achish. He was an employee of Saul. He was a really good employee of Saul. He worked. He was a great employee of Saul. But Saul couldn't handle his success. And his jealousies against David were too profound. And he fired him and tried to kill him. So now he's an employee down there with the Philistine warlords. He brought his employees with them. 600 men who are in debt, in distress, and discontent. But that's not Achish's problem. They're subcontractors under you. 
you just do what I tell you to do and how you manage your 600 employees is your business. Just show up when we're going to Israel and you surely know you'll go out with me. Well, you surely know what I can do. Yeah, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you a, one of my chiefs, chief guardians forever. I'm going to give you medical and dental benefits. I'm going to give you a, a long-term contract. I mean, you're pretty special. You're so special, I'm going to make you my chief guardian. No, one of my chief guardians. You ever been offended at work? When you do a great job and you get talked down? And people come in and beat you down? And, like, you're the queen of Israel. You're the king of Yahweh. And some Philistine warlord shows up to you at work that you've got to answer to. And they tell you, oh, I'm going to do this for you. I'm such a good boss. I will do, I will do this for you. I, I control your life. I, 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 I will, I will do, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to give you a promotion. I'm going to give you a little raise. I, I want to make you a, one of my chief, one of my chief guardians. Personally, to me, it's insulting. David is one of the greatest human beings that ever lived. David is the living example in this context, the living link to Genesis and the fall of the garden when God promised that he would send the Messiah to come and crush the serpent's head. That promise went through Seth to Noah, to Jephthah, to Abram, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Judah, the 12 tribes of Israel through the tribe of Judah, the scepter will not depart from Judah. And by the way, God's people are to be led by one with a shepherd's staff, not a spear. Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. He rules with a spear. David's from the tribe of Judah. He leads with a shepherd's staff. Good lesson in leadership right there. That was going to be your study. That's your parenthetical thought tonight. The whole story of Ruth Boaz, it's all moving to this, and there's David. David in the boss's office. And the boss says, yeah, I will, I will make, you a, I'll make you one of my chief, chief guardians forever. It's a good deal. It's a good gig working for me forever. Hey, America, land of dreams. You can't speak our language as a first language. I will make you a chief guardian forever. But in the end, David, standing there in that office, he just, well, you know what I can do. You know my resume. You know my resume. You know what I can do. You've seen my resume. Funny thing about David's resume before Achish, his resume doesn't really reveal the things that matter most. The greatest wealth is character and intelligence and to be spirit-filled. Those are the greatest attributes in, the, in humanity. You being transformed by the Holy Spirit to forgive, to let go, to walk in humility, to grow in the things of the Lord, that's the greatest equity in time, space, and matter. You serving others in Jesus' name, the, the one who is the least of all, the servant of all, is the greatest in the kingdom. That doesn't show up on your resume for the Philistine warlord. He just sees, maybe he knew, like, oh, it says here you killed a bear. It says here you killed a lion. Well, we know you killed Goliath. Not sure about that one. Probably not on the resume. Risked my life to capture Saul's spear and gave it back to him because that was the previous chapter. He didn't update his resume. You know, he didn't update it. Maybe he did. And all this guy can say is, 
oh, yeah, I'll make you a, I'll, I'll make you one of my chief guardians forever. Do not let any demons and fallen men and women on planet Earth sell you short of what God intends to do with your life, particularly the person you see in the mirror. Because more often than not, it's you that sells yourself short of what you're called to do in the human experience. If the devil can convince you that your destiny is not glory and the kingdom and eternity and all the things he has for you in time, space, and matter, plus the next dimension, then he's already defeated you. The devil will dumb you down to minimum wage for another country even. You understand I'm speaking allegorically on that one. But he'll dumb you down. He'll convince you you can't do anything. He'll despise you like David's brothers despised him when he showed up at the camp back in chapter 17. There's something in us that hopes for great things, but there's something in us that fears great things. But I have learned that winners don't fear defeat and failure. Because it's usually part of the victory that you have. David already knew that. But you're sitting in a boss's office and they say to you, I'm going to do this for you, and that's it. And at that moment, David has to decide, hmm. So, I'm going to be a chief guardian forever for the Philistines, for this Philistine warlord who's not even a supreme king. And in that moment, in his mind, like a commercial, in a split second, he has to see all the good things that God's done for his life from day one. Boom, 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 boom. All of it. All of it, his whole life. The hand of the Lord upon his life. And he has to decide, is this man going to define me? Or is God's faithfulness in my life and his calling on my life going to define me? When this man says, you're going to be one of my chief guardians forever, he has to go back to the anointing oil being poured on his head as a 17-year-old high school senior in his father's house when none of his family even esteemed him to bring him in the house when the prophet was there in the first place. He has to go back to fighting the bear and the lion. He has to go back to when he took on Goliath. And it's all, it just went, it's just like when your life flashes before you when you step into eternity, they say. And it all goes there. And he has to decide, is this guy here defining who I am on this day and where I'm going in my journey of life and for all eternity? Or am I going to define it? Is he going to move me from who I know who I am in the Lord to who he thinks I am on planet Earth as a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve? In his fallen mind? Am I going to let this man with the natural mind, the carnal mind, define me? Or am I going to let the mind of the the Lord define me? In my own heart, spirit bear witness with my spirit, who I really am on planet Earth in this journey that we call life. And we have to make those decisions. And unfortunately, the vast majority of people, vast majority of people, accept a dumbed-down version for their lives, for what God has for them, obviously apart from the Lord, but in the Lord too. And I've been saying this a lot lately. But Christ on the cross, Christ risen from the grave, Christ ascending to the right hand of the Father, Christ at the right hand of the Father, and Christ promising to come and split the Mount of Olives and establish a kingdom of righteousness on planet Earth is not about smallness and dumbing down. It's about understanding the upper call of God in Christ Jesus as it's meant to be applied in our life to be the greatest version of who we're meant to be in our journey as God's defined it. 
And that's why this text really resonates with me. Because I've prayed with so many people in 34 years as a pastor, and so many people in the last two years who've had bosses talk them down. Because we're in difficult times. We're going from inflation to stagflation and recession. And people are getting laid off, and people are losing their jobs. And this is the reality. If they, can, if they can use a mandate against you or use some trumped-up charges against you or blame you, they, you know those bosses that take credit for what you did and blame you for what they did wrong? You know those bosses? <laughs> yeah. You know, the bosses, women, men, they take credit for what you do, and then they blame you for what they did wrong. And ultimately, they throw you under the bus when people are making cuts. And you're asked to leave, and you're leaving a cubicle with a box, and everyone's looking at you like you did something wrong. Well, let me tell you, if that's ever been you and it's you in the future, hold your chin up and smile on the way out. And let them know that the Philistine warlords don't define who you are, your worth on planet Earth, and what your tomorrow is going to bring in Jesus' name. Jennifer and I were talking about this today. She's never been fired. <laughs> I've been fired more than once. <laughs> we didn't know if that's something to brag about or be ashamed of, but, you know, hey, <laughs> you know, I got fired. A couple times. It's not so bad. There's lots of jobs in America. You know, you just reload, reboot it, find another door. But some people getting fired. You got a job for 20 years and you get fired. That can be your whole identity, especially in certain cultures, right? In Asian cultures, man, your job, the corporation, that's your identity. That's like everything. So when, when you get let go unjustly or justly or half and half, to be a woman in the workplace and what women go through, generally not equal pay, generally not equal credit, wars are passed out, you should get it, your boss gets it, who's a, uh, narcissistic and a sexist and hits you up all the time at work. A lot of you women know what I'm talking about. I got daughters, and I've prayed with a lot of women in 34 years to know what goes on at the workplace for women. And you can have laws that say, hey, women should have equal rights and this kind of stuff. But yeah, enforcing those laws? Yeah, that's a whole other story. You see, this is a defining moment in David's life. This is a critical moment in David's life. He's not a teenager anymore. He's a man. He's a man in a man's world. And he's a man of faith who's trusting in the Lord. And he gets one favorable thing to have another disfavorable thing happen. And he feels great responsibility for hundreds of men and their wives and their children. He's just living day to day trying to figure out how to put food on the table, keep peace in the household, and keep his employees happy, which we'll see in the coming chapter pretty soon in the future. They rebel against him. They go on strike. And they want to kill him, his 600, 430 mighty men. Is to, this, this one verse, verse 2 in this chapter is amazing. Yeah, so the next time someone tells you to pack your box, you think you're going to meet with them for a few minutes, and they tell you you're, you're, you're a worthless employee for 20 years, and they hand you a check and show you the door. Don't pick up the spear. Know who you are, know who you serve, and know what you've committed to them until that day. When they send you the email, ah, we got to let you go. It's never about the money, and it's never about the job. It's about your heart and your attitude and what God's doing. That's 
the reality of it. This moment for David is not about Achish and Philistine fish gods and the Philistine warlords. It's about him and the Lord this very moment. It's about knowing, well, you know, you know what I can do. Isn't it always difficult, too, when you got to defend yourself in a, in, a, in a business meeting with your boss? <laughs> you know my resume, right? Like, you know what I can do. Like, you, you know what I can do. Yeah, 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 you'll be one of my chief guardians forever. Lifetime contract, great benefits. Around here, we serve Dagon, the fish god. A lifetime contract. 401k, life insurance, all the benefits. We're immune to the stock market. We guarantee your pension. We got you. Don't worry. Lifetime. Among other things, don't ever trust the promises of Philistine warlords either. Because nothing's guaranteed except Jesus on the cross and Jesus risen and Jesus coming. That's the only guarantee. It's super important that each of us in this room know who we are in Christ Jesus if you've given your life to Christ. And even if you haven't, let me say this to non-believers, because non-believers watch me a lot. Your life matters, and you are important. So listen to me, body of Christ, non-believers. You are precious in the eyes of the Lord, and no one on planet Earth is a mistake. And whether you're born missing limbs or Down syndrome or all these different things that affect your cognitive capacities, your life is of the highest supreme value to the Lord of the universe who governs and rules over trillions of galaxies and knows them all by name and knows the hair on your head. Every life. If there's something God has taught me in my journey of life is that every life matters. And that's why abortion, suicide, and euthanasia are so grieving to the Lord because they're all taking lives under the wrong circumstances, let alone murder and such things and the heartache of manslaughter. You see, every life is important. And that's why we support people who go to the farthest reaches of the world, the countries that have nowhere near the opportunities as we do for women who can, who can never get a job equal to a guy at Starbucks on the pay scale. And that's why we support you when you go out. And those who have gone out. And that's why I commend you when you go to countries that lower women, they, where women can't even drive cars. Because we may not be able to change the whole world, but we'll do our part to make it better before we leave. And we're not going to let Philistine warlords determine what our daughters are worth, what our wives are worth, what our mentally handicapped children are worth, or an unborn baby in the womb. Christ died for the universe. And the universe revolves around planet Earth and what happened at Golgotha and the empty tomb. And every single life that you look at, whether it's a scarred, marred version of what's left of that human being, destroyed by sin and affected by sin, that life is still precious in the eyes of the Lord. That life was created with divine design and purpose. Billions of wires going through your mind. Billions and billions, trillions of wires connecting in your supercomputer of your mind. Every human being. And, and again, even where there's physical handicaps and things like that, we need to understand those lives have value. And if you think they don't, who cares what your opinion is? 
Who are you, O oh man? Opinions are the cheapest commodity on planet Earth. You know why? Yeah, you know why. Because everyone's got one. I'm learning in my 60s, my opinion doesn't mean much at all. If it's not aligned with God's word, it means nothing. Let your opinions be aligned by God's word and God's into life and the value of all life. And when we come to Christ, he makes you a woman, a new creation. He makes you a new man, a new creation. And he, he calls us. We're not saved by works, but we become his workmanship and we become his art. I mentioned this recently being like an art gallery place not so long ago and looking at these, these vases from the 1800s and I just marveled at their, at their beauty. I mean, they were like tens of thousands of dollars. And I was like, these are just beautiful. Like it's just, you ever look at a Monet painting just go like, oh my goodness. I mean, Catherine Great, the great, the last, thing, last five years of her life, she sent her people out all over Europe to buy all the best paintings of Michelangelo and all these different people. They did all these different things, Rembrandt, everything. She got as much as she could, put them in a museum in St. Petersburg, and that's the, that's the, that's the Catherine Great Museum that's in St. Petersburg to this day. It has the greatest treasures in human history of art in it. You know, they're going to execute some guys in Iran because they're trying to steal uh, antiquities out of Iran recently. If governments do that, because human history is fascinating and art of human history is priceless, it really is priceless, how much more so than the living human being, the work of art we're meant to be? See, I could compare things to like antiquity coins or different things, that paintings and all this kind of stuff, but really, you, every human being on this planet alive right now, you are the greatest work of art in God's universe. That's not my opinion. That's what he says. We're his workmanship. I've never tried to replicate Joey Brand. Why would I and who would want to be? Right? I can only be me. And I'm comfortable being me. And you can only be you. And I'm my work of art that you're watching me under construction on the potter's wheel. And you're his work of art. We're watching you on the potter's wheel. And no Philistine warlord is going to define who we are on the potter's wheel with Jesus Christ. We're being transformed from glory to glory in Jesus' name. And as we go forward in faith in the Lord, he's making that work of art. And we're getting closer to what we're meant to be. We're getting closer to that. Sam's got a painting in his house. It's unfinished. It's the unfinished painting. When I was in their apartment, I was like, I want this painting to be finished. I sat on their couch going, this painting bothers me. I've never told them this to find out right now. I go, this unfinished painting, and then Sam just told me later, I'm gonna, it's going to be finished someday. I'm like, I want it finished now. Who hangs an unfinished painting in their house? Jesus does. Because we're all unfinished paintings. We're all before the throne, unfinished paintings. And the master is still moving the brush on the canvas of our life, completing who we're going to be. Now, sometimes we go like, hey, I don't like that. So we, we smudge the colors like kids with finger paint. And the Lord's like, why did you just do that? I'm making something beautiful here. And then you just make those decisions. And now you got like, like a little kid in kindergarten with finger paint. You're smudging this beautiful Rembrandt I'm making. Oh, why don't you just say you're sorry? I'll clean it up and we'll go back. We'll clean the canvas right there. And we'll start over. Okay. 
That's what repentance, confession, repentance is. Jesus clearing up our fingerprint smudge on the work of art and let him get back to doing what he does. And the painting's not complete. I'm not complete, you're not complete. But I want to be like a canvas like this every day. And I don't need any Philistine warlords defining who I am before the king, the master ar- artist, and what he's doing in my life, and nor do you. Let him paint a masterpiece. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, because we need to know who we are, and David knew, you know, who, you know what I can do. David said, you know what I can do. Listen, we know what Jesus can do. He raises the dead. That's why when you get lo- let go, falsely blamed, whatever, wrong, whatever, you say, no, it's the Lord. A woman, a man can receive nothing unless it comes from the Lord. And Romans 8 says, all things work together for good. To those who love God are called according to his purpose. And we know that we, we do our work as unto the Lord, not unto men, knowing that our reward comes from the Lord, not men. So when they tell you in five minutes, go out the back door, and they give you a severance check, then just go out the back door and know it's between you and the Lord. They're just, they're just them. That's the past. Jesus is your future. That's today, but start moving toward tomorrow. Pack up the box. Walk out. Keep your chin up. I know a lot of people would want to make you feel ashamed and embarrassed, whatever. Just, you know what? God's got you. And if you got fired legitimately like I did, I shared that story not that long ago when Bill Bernard fired me from uh, Hobie Oceanside Surf Ride. <laughs> I was like, he should have fired me. I should have been fired sooner. But if I haven't been fired ever since, then that's a good thing, isn't it? I keep getting fired for the same reasons. That's a bad thing. So if you get fired, you get fired. And just figure out what King Jesus has next for you and let him get back to the work. Let him, let him clean up your kindergarten finger painting on the canvas. Ephesians 1 says, in him, in him, in him, in him, in him, in him. All these things that we are in Christ. In him we're redeemed. In him we're saved by faith. In him we're his workmanship. In him we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. In him we're joint heirs with Christ. I mean, it is all in him. And when you come to Christ, we're in him. Our identity is in Christ. Not in Dagon, the Philistine God. We need to know who we are in Christ. For victory in this life and the glory to come. And we need to let him who's the king transform us from glory to glory to make us who we're meant to be in this journey. As it says in 2 Corinthians, now we see dimly, but we're being transformed from glory to glory as we're in the presence of the Lord. We need to know who we are in Christ. And we need to know that he's producing character. He's producing faith. He's producing things for eternity. And we, know, we need to know the value of who we are because of what God has given us as a human being and the value of who we are and what he's done in our life. So go fight some bears and go fight some lions and hold the shepherd's staff and see what God will add to your resume with steps of faith. But don't let some Philistine warlord define who you are in Jesus. We have divine purpose and calling And it's way bigger than any Philistine warlord offering us a raise, giving us a promotion, or firing us justly or unjustly. Funny thing about the Philistine warlords, you know, you've probably had these bosses. I've had some good bosses, but I've had a couple like this. They they think they're all that. You know what I mean? If you're the boss that just thinks they're all that, like, they just... 
It's just so all about them. They just, they're all that. They just think they're all that. Like they're, they're like high and mighty, and they control their little universe, and the orbits around them, and they think they're all that. They just tell that. I'm, I'm achish. Because I'm saying, warlord, I'm offering you a lifetime contract. Not to be my chief guardian. <laughs> we would never let a Jew be our chief guardian. Timmy asked me this recently, Timmy, my son, because he loves history. He said, Dad, how come Trotsky wasn't in charge of the Bolshevik Revolution? It's a great question, because Trotsky was the mastermind, more so than Lenin or Stalin. I said, you know why? <laughs> Timmy, he was Jewish. The communists would never let a Jewish man be in charge of the communist rev revolution. The Bolsheviks could never have a Jew, a Jewish man, run their revolution. And I said, plus Stalin assassinated him in exile in Mexico anyways in the early 40s. Timmy's like, wow, it all makes sense now. Yeah, so even if you're a communist and you're the mastermind of the most evil communist empire in all time, space, and matter, the Soviet Union, Lenin and Stalin, no, 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 no. Your, eth your, your ethnicity could never be leader of the Bolshevik Revolution. Around here, it's Mother Russia, buddy. And definitely, all Europe knows, Jews can't be the final boss. True story. So, with Akish, the Philistine warlord, nah, I'm just speculating right now, but maybe like, you know, like David could be a really good chief guardian. He could be. He could be the. He could be the. He could be the Shifley. He could be the manager. I mean, he's got six hundred people. They're getting better by the day. He produces a, a profit for me. Yeah, but we're not going to let a, uh, an Israelite be our chief guardian. I'll make you one of my chief guardians. You could never be the head coach. You can be an offensive coordinator. Defensive coordinator, you could never be the head coach. You ever dealt with people like that? Maybe you have, and you thought, am I thinking what I'm thinking right here? Am I not getting this job because I'm a woman? Am I not getting this job because I'm white? Am I not getting this job because I'm black? Am I not getting this job because I'm Asian? Am I not getting this job because I'm uh, South Pacific? Am I not getting this job because, like, and it can become obvious or subtle. Am I not getting this job because I have tattoos? Am I not getting this job because I don't have tattoos, right? They think they're all that. Be careful of people who want to talk you down, dumb you down from your divine purposes and destiny and calling in Jesus Christ, who talk all that, have this heavy thumb, they got it all figured out, and they think you're doing the, they're doing you the biggest favor ever by giving you a full-time job, minimum wage with benefits, and maybe they'll throw in some dental and they'll cover half of it. And maybe that's a good deal for you right now in life. I don't know. But don't let that define you. Even if you work minimum wage, don't let that define who you are before Jesus Christ and the throne of God. Even if you're homeless, because we've had homeless people come to this church at various times for various reasons, don't let being homeless define you and who you are in Jesus' name. Jesus defines who we are. I told the story about five years ago when my sister was homeless. I was leaving 56th Street, uh, uh, excuse me, I was leaving like... Uh, Orange Street, and I was on the PCH. I was coming out of looking at the surf, and I was making the left turn on the PCH to go toward Huntington, right by Frog House there in the surf shop. And this homeless woman, she, you know, you can kind of tell when they're homeless, she was on a bike, 
And uh, this guy rode by her and threw her an elbow. And she just, she reacted like, like this, you know, like when you kick a dog that's been kicked its whole life. And she kind of did this. And she's like, ah! And, and I was like, wow, I just saw that. And I was like, if I knew anyone was doing that to my sister, homeless and distant right now with her grocery cart, I'd figure out a way to crack them one. And then I realized as I sat there and thought about this, it's the red light. I'm at the red light waiting to turn left on PCH to go west toward uh, Long Beach. And the Lord's like, you know what the Lord showed me? He goes, people have been hitting that woman her entire life. As the Lord showed me, people have been hitting that woman her entire life. And my attitude toward homeless people changed that very moment. And it's never been the same, nor should it be. Would you want it to be? Do you want your pastor to have an attitude toward homeless people? Or do you want your pastor on the verge of tears because of homeless people? Which would you want, WG? Which one's more pleasing to the Lord? Yeah, as the Holy Spirit told me, people have been hitting that woman her whole life. Now help your sister and don't harden your heart against her. My sister was homeless at the time. And her heart was hardened against my sister. She did it to herself. She can figure it out. Sick of her calling me, leaving these insane messages. Listen, the Holy Spirit said, people have been hitting that woman her entire life. Don't let Philistine warlords who drive by on their bike when you're homeless and pop you one to find who you are in Jesus' name. You know, this is interesting. Stay with me on this one. Look what Achaeus says. I will make you. Oh, now listen, WG. You know one of my favorite passages comes from the Gospels where someone else says the same thing exactly. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew and John and James, he said, I will make you. Oh, my goodness. What a contrast. I've never seen this in my 35 years with Jesus. We got a Philistine warlord who thinks he's all that saying, I will make you. I will make you like chief foreman, but not the chief chief foreman. I will make you. That's what the devil says. I will make you. That's what the Philistine warlords say. I will make you. Jesus says, I will make you. I will make you. So when the Philistine warlords, all that, like I'm going to make you, just remember who makes you. Jesus makes us. Jesus is making us. I'm not Joey Brand from 1984. I'm Joey Brand in 2022. I'm not 24, I'm 61. And I can testify, anyone that's known me this journey knows, I am not the same person I was going to high school in Carlsbad in the 70s, and neither are many of you who you were. Do you want to be who you were, or do you want to be who you're going to be? When the Philistine warlord says to you, because they have the power over your life, they sign your paycheck, they, it all happens because they say yes or no, like Caesar, like that, just know this, Jesus is making you, and he's a higher maker than the one who thinks they're making you. The one who thinks they're really making you at work, mm, mm. ultimately it's the Lord. God gives favor, he gives disfavor. He keeps you there, he moves you on. He's making us, WG, body of Christ. And for non-believers that ever hear this message, know this, he wants to make you. But you, you can't make you. He's got to make you. He's got to make you a new creation.
By grace you've been saved, not through faith, not of works. We get saved through faith, and then he does the work. We can't let him do that. And then the final thought there is he says, I'm going to make you chief guardian forever, which I've undergirded the entire message with. <laughs> no, my resume, our resume in Jesus' name goes much higher than chief guardian for Achish, the Philistine warlord. And even if you end up working for Akish, because he's got the long-term benefits and you're going to retire with Akish, and, you know, he, he is your pension person. Uh-oh. You never know. But maybe he is, and that's the way it works. Even if Jehovah, God of Israel, says you're working for Akish, when you go home and tell your wife, she says, who are you? Don't say, I'm one of the chief guardians forever for Akish. Just say, I'm an Israelite, and I serve Jehovah, God of the burning bush. But I do serve him in the house of Achish, the Philistine warlord. And a thousand years from now, Paul the Apostle is going to say, whatever you do, it, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men, not with eye service, but to glorify Christ, who will give you the credit when you step into eternity. So, honey, yeah, boss, boss serves Dagon. Boss says I'm one of his chief guardians. He, he defines me that way. But just know, honey, when he says that to me, I know who I am. I'm from the tribe of Judah. I'm anointed to be king. I'm joint heirs with Christ. I'm adopted into the family. And for all eternity, he's going to be showing me his glory and his riches with all the other true Israelites who call upon his name. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we're saved to serve Jehovah. And honey, don't worry. Even though Achish signs my paycheck... We all know who we're serving here. I am that I am from the burning bush. So don't worry, honey. We'll go to work tomorrow. Well, don't let him talk you down. Well, don't let her talk you down. Well, when they do, I just remember, we serve Jehovah, God of the burning bush. That's the way it is, WG, body of Christ. Because a lot of people spent the last two years in America talking down followers of Jesus Christ in their workplace. And not just followers of Jesus Christ, all kinds of people, just regular people. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, whatever. You know, the thing about Dagon and the people that serve Dagon, they don't care. In the end, they don't really care about their religion. They care about money and a bottom line. Jesus cares about your transformation to become the daughter of the king you're meant to be and the son of the king you're meant to be. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I personally reject all the labels of Achish, the Philistine warlord, in my life. I have no intention of letting Achish or any of his friends that are warlords or rule palaces define who I am in my journey for the rest of the way. I know who I am in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to laugh. I'm going to cry. I'm going to dance. I'm going to smile. I'm going to break down and sob. I'm going to, I'm going to live the human experience from here to eternity. And I'm definitely not going to let some Philistine warlord tell me I can be one of his chief guardians. We serve Jehovah, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua. Jehovah, with the rainbow over his throne. Yeshua, who is at the right hand of the Father with his throne in Revelation 5, where everyone says, worthy is the lamb. That's who we serve. That's who defines us when we wake up on Monday morning. Oh, you might be minimum wage. You might be homeless. But when you belong to Jesus, 
No. Don't let the person in the mirror or any Philistine warlord define who you are, your place on planet Earth, the value of your person, the value of your gifts, and the value of your calling. For in Jesus' name, it's forward, upward, and onward. We are royalty. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And he's given us all gifts, practical gifts, spiritual gifts. And he tells us we have to get past Achish. And we have to walk out of that moment knowing that our identity, our purpose, our next step is completely defined by the promises of God and who we are in Jesus' name. Amen.